0: for free at luckylandslots.com are you feeling lucky no purchase
1: necessary void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details my name is carrie hope fletcher and you're listening to 11 the official theater podcast
0: Hello and welcome to Eleven, the official theatre podcast that brings the biggest stars and creatives together in one place to discuss life in the arts. She's the award-winning stage star that's currently originating the title role in the brand new Andrew Lloyd Webber musical Cinderella at the Gillian Lynn Theatre. A magical world with new songs, new faces and a whole new take on this beloved fairy story that's got a rather exciting new twist. But no stranger to the stage, he comes to this magical world having played both Eponine and Fontaine in Les Mis, on stage and in concert also having originated the roles of Wednesday Adams in the UK tour of The Addams Family, and Veronica Sawyer in Heathers at the Theatre Royal Haymarket and at The Other Palace. She's also appeared in the Arena tour of The War of the Worlds, in A Christmas Carol and as a child actor in The Wind in the Willows, Mary Poppins and Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, a show she also later revisited as an adult. And if she isn't busy enough, she also happens to be a Sunday Times best-selling author too. So here, in an exclusive conversation, we discuss what it's like collaborating and creating an original musical with Andrew Lloyd Webber, why she feels more at home with Cinderella's pre-transformation look and vibes, the misconceptions that she's simply given roles rather than having to audition, why she isn't ruling out a return to Heather's, her magical journey to starring in The Addams Family, how her work as an author influences her time on stage, and why she might, just might, be in the process of penning an original stage show. More on this, later. Plus, in perhaps the most honest of moments, she reveals what it's like fulfilling her childhood dream out loud. It is the delightful Carrie Hope Fletcher here now on this, the next episode of Eleven, the official theatre podcast. To ensure the safety of all involved in this episode of Eleven, Carrie and I connected for this conversation digitally, so please forgive any brief moments while we wait for the internet to catch up. Enjoy. She's the award-winning West End superstar That's currently originating the title role In a brand new and exclusive Andrew Lloyd Webber musical I saw it last night My God, she's a wonder So please help me welcome to this The next episode of Eleven From a very, very sunny, colourful room I'm very jealous Good morning, Carrie (laughs) Hope Fletcher How are you?
1: Good morning, I'm good How are you?
0: I'm good, I'm very good Thank you so much for agreeing to do this I've been badgering you and your team For a long time to do this They finally caved in Could find no more (laughs) excuses I was like, right I just want like 20, 25 minutes To basically tell Carrie How obsessed I am with you So that's exactly What I'm going to do now And I was just telling you That literally Just over 12 hours ago I was sat in A West End theatre Watching you Just soar in Cinderella It's extraordinary And and I don't know why It's taken me so long To see it I think it's one of those shows Where I was like I was going to see it Obviously and then the pandemic Happened which We won't tread on too much And then eventually I was like right This is the time I want to do it I need to go see you in it And you are extraordinary And it looks like From an audience perspective We can talk about the magic And the sort of The beautiful nature Of the piece and the music It just looks like you're having Having the best time.
1: Yeah, you've actually waited until the best time to see it because we've had like a lot of changes happen throughout the last few months. And now I think we're kind of at a point where the show is all settled. So you came to see it at the perfect point, but no, we are having so much fun. The show is just, I mean, how could you not? It's it's such fun songs to sing. It's Cinderella, it's such a classic tale, but it's been turned on its head. So we're kind of surprising audiences at the same time, which is, you know, we kind of go out there with an audience expecting to see either like Disney or Panto or a version of the like the classic fairy tale that everyone knows. And then all of a sudden when my first line is you bastard. suddenly everyone's like whoa what am I watching here and yeah it's great fun to sort of go out and see audiences sort of raise an eyebrow and then by the end sort of like be up on their feet and cheering so it's good fun
0: especially because that opening scene is very classical and you're like oh okay I understand this sort of the setting of it and then you come along and then this just this electric sound kicks off with bad Cinderella and this voice (laughs) and you're like this is definitely not the Cinderella that I think I knew it feels rebellious like it but it also feels very smart that someone would dare to sort of take this classic and sort of twist it on its head. Was that sort yeah. of your reaction the first time that I guess Cinderella was brought to you?
1: Yeah, I mean, Emerald Fennell, who's the writer of, of Cinderella, she's actually a genius. Um, and to have her in the room during rehearsals as well was such an honor and a privilege just to see her at work. She, you know, she'd written this amazing script that's so clever, so funny. It's taken all of those moments within the classic fairy tale, like the glass slippers, the transformation scene, the ball, Prince Charming, and she's just completely turned them on their heads. And yeah, just being in a room with her where she'd take a line that was already hysterical and then just add something to it or change it to an even funnier line. We were like, who even are you? You're ridiculous. You are so <laughs> clever. Like, I feel really stupid being in a room with Emerald Fennel.
0: Was drawing penises on statues something that you expected to do in an Andrew Lloyd Webber musical? or was this- No,
1: definitely. Definitely not. No, but Andrew was fully behind that. He, yeah, he thought that was uh, quite funny. I just, I love it so much because I've, you know, I'm such a massive Disney fan. Um, and the idea of playing a Disney princess has always been like up there on my bucket list. But yeah, I've always loved like darker like the original fairy tales where, you know, in the original fairy tale of Cinderella, the, the stepsisters cut their toes off in order to get their feet in this. Like, I love stuff like that. I'm a massive Tim Burton fan. Sleepy Hollow is my favourite movie. I just, you know, I love kind of like a darker a darker film or a darker story and so this is kind of the best of both worlds where you've got this classic you know fairy tale setting where people do sing to wildlife um but then I'm getting to play a princess that wears big chunky black boots and dark eye makeup it's great
0: One of my favorite plays is Constellations because it looks at the world from a different angle. And I'm always obsessed with this idea. And I think Wicked sort of created the idea that you could look at something from a different viewpoint. This could be happening over here. You have no idea that this is happening when you look at an original tale. And I sort of got that sort of vibe from Cinderella, which was that you don't actually know that this entire other storyline and the one that you probably already knew when you're going in, was happening it does sort of feel like it has that exciting other element to it and I can imagine for you it is original too so it means that you're getting to put your stamp on it so it sort of feels like it sort of feels like you're a little bit spoiled and then you've got all these amazing genres and styles sort of just exploding on stage
1: yeah absolutely and you know it's it has taken certain characters and and made them for a completely new audience not to give anything away but suddenly Prince Charming is a a very different character to how you would uh, expect him to be or how he usually is in the original fairy tale um which i just think is is you know so wonderful and it's a part of the show that i'm so jealous that i don't get to be a part of i'm off stage in the wings like looking through the curtain just enjoying that really really wonderful moment and watching how the audience responds to that as well
0: and it's probably the only moment in the show you do actually get a moment to think i mean you work so hard in the show all the way through the singing <laughs> i mean i was like gosh give her a break constantly all the time
1: well, it's such a weird mix because i i do have time off stage like i get time time for a cup of tea in act one. It's great. What? Um, I know. But then when I am on stage, I'm singing like huge songs. Like I know I have a heart far too late. Even the soliloquy is kind of like an amalgamation of three other songs that you've already heard. Um, it's, yeah, it's it's quite a big thing whenever I am on stage. So I do take those moments off stage to sort of sit down and have a moment of existential crisis.
0: <laughs> is this version of Cinderella different to the one that you did pre-pandemic?
1: Um, it's definitely different to the version that we did pre-pandemic. We did a workshop in 2019 and there were characters in it that no longer exist or have been turned into different characters. So there's definitely been a huge amount of reworking, you know, with Emerald and, and Andrew. They were working hardcore through the whole pandemic to get it to what it is today. So yeah, huge changes have been made. But yeah, I feel it's it's funny because as you were talking then, I was like, I remembered years ago when I was playing Eponine and the thing that was like drummed into me with Eponine was like, you can never, ever be our oh, woe is me. You never want to feel sorry for Eponine because she's well aware of the fact that when she sings on my own, she knows she's on her own. She knows that she's dreaming. She knows that this is the thing that she can never have. She's just like, let me have my moment. Let me just have this moment of fantasy. And then I'll go back to being badass, which is exactly what she does. So I feel like that was in my head during, you know, uh, rehearsing the role of Cinderella because she is such a kick-ass character. She is, you know, she, from the moment she walks out or spins out on that statue, She's this amazing, rebellious, non-conforming, incredible character. Um, So then when you get that side of vulnerability to her, it can never be about her feeling sorry for herself or other people feeling sorry for her. It's more her just like accepting the reality of her situation. And now I'm going to kick ass anyway.
0: And it feels important that the clothing that we see her before the transformation into the ball that she then ends up in again, isn't sort of those downtrodden clothes that we're so used to seeing in a pantomime and then she suddenly becomes beautiful. She's very set in who she is in terms of the way her hair is, the fact that she's chosen her clothes, those massive big boots. Like it feels very specific.
1: Yeah. She loves the way she looks like she has chosen the way that she looks in a town that has been told they have to look a certain way. So everyone in the town has been told by the monarchy by the Queen of Belleville that they have to look a certain way in order to fit into this very specific mold uh these beauty ideals that have been chosen for them whereas Cinderella's like no I want to look however I want to look and this is this is deliberate this is how I choose to express myself through my green jacket through my stolen apron like she's got an apron that's the same as everybody else and I just love this idea that she's nicked it from someone and yeah her black lace and all like parts of her even her wig she's got two plaits in her in her wig one's blue and one's pink which is the same color of the hair as the stepsisters so I I always imagine that she's like cut their hair off in their sleep to spite them and like woven it into her own hair as like a massive middle finger to, to her abusive stepsisters the way that she looks is so deliberate and it's a very bold statement in a world that is Um, very pastel and muted.
0: It's almost like the writers of the show are trying to perhaps show a mirror and a reflection (laughs) to the outside. It's almost like they plan that.
1: Yeah, it's almost like they're trying to tell us something. You know, we live in a world that's that's full of... Filters and social media plays a massive part in all of our lives, whether we want it to or not. Even me, like, you know, I I do love a filter. I do love something that gets rid of the bags under my eyes of a morning, you know, (laughs) we're all guilty of it. It gets taken too far to the point where we start changing the shape of our faces and the shapes of our bodies, and then portraying that to a younger audience who then think that that's reality and then start changing their actual bodies in order to fit something that doesn't actually exist. So yeah, there is definitely a, um, a message within within the world of Cinderella, and I think one of the most genius parts about the show is the transformation scene, because usually that's a part that everyone looks forward to. Everyone wants to see Cinderella suddenly go from rags to riches. They want her to go from this, you know, horrible tattered dress into this extravagant, glittering ball gown. But in this version, she's you know built up this message, this 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 attitude of going no, screw you, I'm gonna look however I want to look, and then all of a sudden she's made to feel like she has to change in order to be loved by someone or in order to be worthy of respect and so when she does ultimately change herself the audience are like oh god that's heartbreaking that's actually really sad that she's given up the one thing that she clung to her you know her look and her attitude and you know never ever giving up the way that she is She gives it up in order to impress a boy. Uh.
0: I mean, boys, uh, full stop. But that's a completely different podcast. (laughs) It's so true, though, actually. and, And it wasn't, I never saw that coming. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I understand the message they're trying to push. But actually, it was such a surprise, particularly when you make that grand entrance in Act Two, which there's lots of magic that happens in Act Two. And when you're there and you walk on, you think, you look beautiful, but it doesn't necessarily feel real for Cinderella. It's like so, it feels quite costume and it's like actually, yeah. the dress is amazing, no denying that, the wig, phenomenal. But is this the true Cinderella? And I wondered, yeah. do you find the similarities that you perhaps feel more comfortable in the pre-transformation than the transformation, carry?
1: Yeah, the pre-transformation costume is the most comfortable costume I've ever worn in my life. Like, mm-hmm. I I would I would just leave the theatre in that and be more than happy. It's, it's amazing, you know, I wear these great boots that are flat and comfortable I can stomp around and run around the stage and do all the things that I need to do. I can jump off statues in them, no worries. So then as soon as when this, uh, you know, corseted, very tight ball gown goes on, that's, you know, the the rim of it, like the, the whole skirt, no one can get close to me in that dress because the dress is so big. And I'm in these, you know, very high jeweled shoes that I'm terrified to walk in because they're covered in actual Swarovski crystals. So anytime one of them pops off, I'm like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Like I'm trying to be really careful as I'm walking everywhere in the theater in these shoes. Yeah, I don't feel comfortable in that costume at all. So then as soon as I go back into my chunky docks in my big floaty skirt with my lovely comfy jacket I'm like oh it's like pajamas
0: (laughs) I want to talk to you just so quickly about working with Andrew because I have in my house the vinyl to this show I bought it when it first came out because it felt very rare that we had obviously I know it's happened before but it felt rare that we had a brand new original Andrew Lloyd Webber score to enjoy and there are so many moments in the show where you sit there and you just sort of close your eyes between scene changes and big swelling moments do you think this is once in a lifetime, not the once in a generation And it feels an honour and a privilege To get to sit there and enjoy it once But yeah. to get to be part of it every day And to be able <laughs> to work with Andrew on some of these songs Where I know yeah. that he said to you Carrie, how do you want this to go? Or how do we make this fit your voice? I mean, is there a moment where it becomes normal? Or is every day just, what the hell is
1: happening? No, every time Andrew is in the theatre You get like the whisper through the theatre Like, Andrew's in, Andrew's in uh, it, it never kind of uh, wears off that kind of novelty of having Android Webber. Come and see the show, or just be in the theatre to say hello at warm up, or to say whatever. But no, working through rehearsals with him, and you know, he was there every day, even if he it, it was nothing to do with the music, just to be there and just to you know watch rehearsals and watch everyone else at work. It was amazing to to have him there, and you know, when we were working on the music, to have him turn to me and be like, "How does how does this fit in your voice? How does this sound? Do we need to take it up? Do we need to bring it down? Do we need to do the like?" It was just, uh, yeah, there were a few sort of pinch moments because i grew up listening like joseph is one of my all-time favorite musicals i just love it so much so to you know have the man who wrote that turn to me and ask me how the song that he is currently writing fits within my voice like that's just that's mad to me that's properly properly mad
0: (laughs) And of course, with Andrew comes a legacy of friends, very famous friends and people that want to see his work. I know you had the amazing gala performance as well, where you had lots of friends and family. I know Malala came as well. I mean, yeah. when you get people of that stature come and see the show, is that the point where you go, OK, now I feel sick. I'm nervous now. Yeah.
1: Oh, I I feel like that pretty much all the time anyway. Okay. I'm like a constant state of panic in just normal everyday life. Um, so suddenly when you've got Malala coming to watch you and turning one of your performances into, um, you know, a really important night to raise a lot of money for an incredible cause. Yeah, suddenly you start to get a little bit sweaty. <laughs> you're
0: like, I don't think I should be drawing cocks on statues in front of yeah, It feels exactly. a little bit disrespectful. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> you're of course also a critically acclaimed author as well. And I wondered when you're creating an original role, when you're getting to work on musically, when you're getting to work mm-hmm. on a script and use the other side of your brain, which is, I guess comes in when it comes to words and be yeah. able to create a narrative. Do you sort of play into the author side of it? And perhaps does the stage and the experience you've had with Cinderella help when it comes to you sitting down and writing? Do the two ever sort of join?
1: I mean, it's all storytelling mm-hmm. in just very different ways. And I do tend to switch off the author side of my brain when I'm acting, um, when I'm in the theatre, because that that's the time when I'm like, this is someone else's problem now. If the story doesn't make sense, if there's a line that needs rewriting, that ain't my problem. You go for it. I'll say whatever you want me to say. I'll stand and sing whatever you want me to do. <laughs> whatever but it all does tie in in, in certain ways because it is all just forms of storytelling I actually think what I do on stage informs how I write much more than the other way around because it, it, it's like reading someone else's book it's reading someone else's play it's it's you know um, immersing myself in someone's story someone else's story in a totally different way Um, And I've actually found that when I'm writing, it's the dialogue that I enjoy writing the most. And I think that's because I've spent years saying someone else's lines and, and, you know, acting out someone else's dialogue. Um, So I think that when it comes to writing, that suddenly becomes my favourite part because it is it becomes like writing a play between two people. So I usually write the um, like the conversation and then go back and fill in all of the narrative in between. And I think that is because of how long I've just been saying someone else's words. Do
0: you think that you would want to combine the two and and put your hand to writing a show? Have you even dared to think about that? I could see a smile maybe.
1: (laughs) I have thought about it, yeah. And it becomes more and more appealing as I get older. I think as I get older, the idea of being front and centre gets a bit more scary and being behind the scenes feels a little more my vibe. I don't know. Yeah, I've I've definitely thought about it. Whether I've actually put pen to paper yet is, is a different story but
0: yeah an idea is an idea right you know Absolutely. it's 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 a maybe, and a maybe's yeah. not a no, so... Yeah, exactly. No, yeah. Never yeah. say never. Exactly, exactly. You mentioned being a leading lady, and there was no doubt when you were cast in this role, you were going to be extraordinary, but it is very vulnerable to be able to say, yeah, original show, working with these icons and legends, I'm going to take my fans and my followers and people that, that follow my career in a completely different direction to this new piece and hope they come along. And it there is a huge element of risk to it. Yeah. Do you feel nervous or excited when you get new prospects brought to you? Are the sort of person that leans into it and goes, well, well, I will never know unless I try. Or, or are you somewhat protective of the fact that to get to a position where you are, where you're incredibly successful and you have this romance, you don't want to lose that. You don't want to make yeah. any bumps along the way. How did it play out for you?
1: I mean, it's always terrifying. Even if it's the most exciting thing in the world, it will always be terrifying. Like I said, I'm, I'm just a naturally nervous, terrified person as it is. So when you suddenly get faced with the prospect of being the leading lady in a brand new Android Lloyd Webber West End show, like that's a lot, that's a lot <laughs> to take on. Every now and again, opportunities present themselves and they're just not right. They're just not a right fit. Even if it's just like, here's an audition for something. It's not even like an offer to actually play the role. It's just, here's an audition for something. If it's not right, I usually know straight away. And I'm like, I'm not even gonna put myself up for that so the audience that I have you know managed to build over the years only ever sees the yeses and by the time they see it there's been a whole like process up until that point where I've done my uming and aring I've done my like weighing out the risks And the the you know the pros and cons So by the time anyone ever sees it There's been like six months To a year beforehand of me going Trying to figure out whether it's the right thing to do or not
0: Absolutely I actually want to create an entire Podcast series on this exact topic Which is oh, really? all, of, all of the no's versus The yeses oh. that you see and the fact yeah. that the pyramid Is not evenly stacked nope. I remember Talking to Jessica Voss like two episodes Before this on 11 and she was like Honestly it's like 90% no's like it's yeah. Horrible but it's yeah, about yeah. how you apply yourself afterwards and go well actually that extra no is the extra battery power that I needed to get a yes and it yeah. feels like people are aware of it perhaps aren't quite so honest about the fact that there are a lot of things that we see other people get cast in that we would love to have done that yeah. perhaps just don't express themselves or happen in our lives and, and perhaps have dialogue that we could have a little
1: bit more that's why dream casting hurts so much <laughs> every now and again you're like I would love Carrie Hope Fletcher to play this role I'm like yeah I auditioned for it and didn't get it all right I tried really hard mm. and it didn't happen (laughs)
0: yeah it comes from a place of love but also like of
1: course it does thanks so much
0: thanks so much for dangling the cherry just a little bit closer
1: (laughs) I know no but it is it genuinely is like 90% no's and then the you know I have had such an amazing career and I've been so so lucky but for every yes that I've gotten for every job that has been announced to an audience that you've seen me play there has been 10 other auditions that I went to and was unsuccessful.
0: Do you think the perception is because you have such a status and such a following that people expect you to just get yeses with everything?
1: Yeah, and there's a lot of people expecting the me to never have auditioned. You know, Cinderella is the one really weird anomaly because I was in it from such an early stage. They couldn't get rid of me, basically, because they asked me (laughs) to do demos. So it wasn't even, we weren't even at a stage where people were auditioning. It was just, I need a female voice. This is Andrew. Like, I just need someone, a female voice. He was co-producer on Heather's the year before. That girl who played Veronica was all right. Let's get her in. I just stuck. They literally couldn't get rid of me. I did the demos, then moved on to the workshop, and then did another workshop, and then was offered the role based on that. So my, you know, the work that I did in the demos and in the workshops was kind of my audition, but that's the first time that that's ever happened. Um, everything else has always been like rigorous auditions.
0: I love this idea of Angela Weber Webber calling you all right. You know, she's all right. <laughs> she's all right. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Oh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. You mentioned Heather's there and it's had this remarkable, remarkable success. I mean, literally, I think even in the wildest dreams, if you think back to that original production, to mm. so see the success that it's had and continues to have. I mean, this is a growing beast that becomes ever more Phenomenal and ever more successful Commercially successful in this fandom Do you sort of think back to when you first Sort of were given that role and you first auditioned And it it, it happened through to now Could you imagine the trajectory that it's had to the success now
1: I mean even when I was Cast in that role it had its own Like cult following Even then and I was in it Like I loved Heathers so much I watched the the bootleg From the Off-Broadway production I was a Barrett Wilbur Weed fan Like I, I loved it so much to the point where I had covered a song three years before it was even announced to be coming over to the UK. So it, it had this, following even before our cast and even before it came to the UK it had such a massive audience here already because of that bootleg not condoning bootlegs however I have watched many in my time but I think because of that bootleg it had allowed a UK audience to be opened up to the world of heathers and to fall in love with it so that when it finally was announced to come here everyone was like oh my god I have to get tickets so it, I think it like sold out within the first few weeks of it being announced to come to the other palace but yeah what it's become is so amazing and Andy Fickman the director of Heathers is just one of the best people on the planet let alone one of the best directors I've ever worked with he's just one of the nicest humans um, and he always said to us he said the audience is the fifth beetle." he's like the audience is as much a part of the show as the cast are. And he could not have been more right. That first night in the other palace will be, it will never be forgotten because of how electric and how unbelievable the feeling was of going out to an audience who are already on your side. They already love the show. Like with Cinderella, they had no idea what they were coming to watch. So we all kind of like tentatively walked out onto stage like we like what we've done, do you? But with Heathers, they already knew it. They already loved it. They were just there to have a good time.
0: And obviously the cast recording means that lots of people get to hear that and it lives on Uh and people get to just constantly remind themselves of where they were the first time that they got to see the show and and go see it and support it now, which is wonderful. And I know that you did that quite recently. Was it a weird 360 experience to go back and just to see the legacy that you created.
1: It's so wonderful and I I saw it at the Haymarket and then I saw it um, at the Other Palace as well with this newest cast. I didn't see the tour version, which I'm gutted um, because Becca Wicks and Simon Gordon are just phenomenal. But yeah, I, I went back both times and sat with Jamie Moscato and it was just like a wonderful, like every now and again, something would happen and it would trigger off a memory of something that we would do backstage. Or something that we'd like whisper to each other Or sing to each other behind the scenes And we'd just look at each other and be like I remember that Thing and it was just such a wonderful moment To sort of relive such a, Like we had so much fun on Heather's It's just the one of the most glorious jobs I've Ever done and it came with so Many wonderful little moments Little nuggets um, that I'll Remember for the rest of my life so going back and Watching it with Jamie Moscato was just it, It'll always be a lovely experience
0: Does seeing other people play the role make you want to Give it a go again?
1: Um let's not go that far (laughs) no I love playing Veronica but it is it is the most challenging role I've ever played she is on stage from the moment the show opens and then she just doesn't leave until the end and it's exhausting and the songs that she sings are relentless they are relentless and it's just one after another after another so I yeah I loved my time as Veronica again never say never never say never but I'm happy playing Cinderella for the time being
0: What we were just saying a minute ago about a maybe is definitely not a no. So we'll say maybe for that one. That's fine. Maybe. That, that's maybe, that, yeah. that gives me a little bit of hope. All right, and okay. also, did you imagine in your sort of trajectory of your career that you would become a TikTok audio streaming sensation viral moment? I because know, what's that about? That's mental. Like, I'm not, I'm like, I keep hearing this bloody song every time. It's like constantly yeah. there. People love it.
1: Yeah, it's more, this. It's, I think it's meant to be yours. It's Jamie, isn't it? Yeah. And I mean... Jamie's really lent into that now. He think he posted a video of him just like looking at the camera with the sound playing over the top. And I was like, you're drunk on power, put the phone down.
0: <laughs> Where's my song? But then I don't, but also I don't know if you would want to be viral with a song. I know that sounds it's, weird. It's a bit terrifying.
1: Yeah. It's a bit yeah. scary when that many people are suddenly exposed to who you are and your voice.
0: Very quickly, I just want to quickly ask you about the Adams Family because you spoke oh. so much on your social media beforehand when it was announced, just about the fact that this was a dream role. Like you were upfront, really straight about this you were like I may not get it but I'm going to tell the universe and the world I really love and respect this role and I would love to be given the opportunity to portray it so when that yes came yeah did you sort of sit there going what the hell's was, just happened
1: it was such a strange turn of events uh with the Adams Family because I I, ha- I didn't even know it was a musical first of all and then Andrew Lipper um who wrote the Adams Family um was coming over for a concert. The first time that he was doing a concert in London, it was at the St. James Theatre, which is now the Other Palace. It's been renamed in the years previous, which makes me feel incredibly old. He contacted my agent and said, look, I need someone else to perform in this concert. Is there anyone on your books that would be suitable? And I had just done my first ever West End Live uh, for laymen, for yeah, for it's playing Eponine, um, and they sent him the links of me singing on my own at West End Live, and he was like, "Great, give her the song pulled from the Adams Family; she can sing that." So that was the first time I'd ever heard of the Adams Family, and I was obsessed. When I tell you how much I loved that song, my God, I just I thought it was absolutely genius. So then I downloaded the soundtrack and I listened to all of it from start to finish. And I'm just, I'm a big Adams Family fan anyway. Like I loved the movies. I grew up with those films. Christina Ritchie is the absolute one. She is an icon. I love her. After the concert, Andrew Lipper came up to me and said, look, if the Adams Family ever comes to the UK, I would love you to play Wednesday. And I was like, what a lovely thing to say, but I'm not going to hold you to it. Lo- like very, very sweet of you, but you're yeah. probably just massaging my ego a little bit. But thanks, thanks very much. That's a nice thing to say and you didn't have to say it. So great. Then I was in Chitty like three years later 2016 I'm halfway through the run we're at Wimbledon I'm playing Truly Scrumptious and I get a knock on my door and it's the producer John Stalker from um, Music and Lyrics and he said just a, a weird thing and just to give you a heads up um, we've just bought the rights to The Adams Family and I was like what are the chances that the people who are producing the show that I'm currently in are producing a show that I am desperate to be a part of and he said uh, we've bought the rights to The Adams Family with going to be putting it on next year Um, and we've been chatting to Andrew Lipper and he says he won't see anyone else for the role until he's seen you and I was like oh my god like what are the chances that he remembered me remembered who I was is actually like sticking to his word something that he said what like three years ago now at that point so it was just a very very strange turn of events I felt like the universe was on my side see I had to travel back from Canterbury on tour with Chitty to London um, to audition for, for Wednesday. And it all had to be filmed, had to be like, I was in the room auditioning for Matthew White, who was the director, the choreographer, like the whole team, but it had to be filmed to send to Andrew Lipper so that he could okay me, essentially.
0: That's like the sort of the journey that dreams are made of, but also sounds yeah. incredibly terrifying where the possibility yeah. is put there almost It's not a yes but it's like if we make this happen and you make this happen it's it sort of feels like a bit of a blessing
1: absolutely it did kind of feel like it was dangled in front of me and could easily have been taken away at any point i'm just very very lucky that i didn't screw up that audition that andrew still liked me that his memory of me was correct And that even every, because anyone on that team could have said, I don't think she's right. Like yeah. Matthew White, the director could have been like, I just don't see it.
0: And the wig and the costumes in that show, I remember seeing it being like, yeah. like it just, especially particularly with pulled as well. You, it's sort of just like, it's sort of where all of the fusions come together. It's sort of that sweet spot you you get in musical theatre where you just think, this is why people sing it all the time. This is why people love this moment. Yeah. And I, I can imagine for you, it's a bit of a gift every night to go, I know I've got this gem that I get to pull out the yeah. bag.
1: Absolutely. And Wednesday kind of ticked all of the boxes for me because you know, the the story is kind of about her and it's about her engagement to this boy from a a normal family. And she gets some incredible songs like Pulled, One Normal Night, Crazier Than You, like incredible, incredible songs. And yet she's not front and center all the time. It's, you know, the people that carry that show are Gomez and Morticia. So I used to get to like come out, sing this incredible song and then go back to my dressing room and have a cup of of tea (laughs) and know that the show is safe in other people's hands and all that pressure isn't riding on me. Um, So yeah, she kind of ticked all the boxes for me. And she was uh, a real, like, honour to play.
0: There are so many other key milestones and points in your career. I feel like there's going to be about a thousand of your fans be like, <laughs> he didn't ask about this, so please don't come through." me. I'm a nice person. Like We're trying to cover <laughs> as much of it, but I want to focus just on Cinderella to end, because this journey of this show. And there's been so many annoying setbacks, pandemic, start, stops, COVID. But the fact that it's here, the fact that it's this original West End musical, and the fact that this is something that belongs to you, this role is very much yours. And you've had the opportunity through the cast album, through the publicity photographs, through being the first person to play it, that it very much will always be yours, however many people get the luxury and privilege of getting to play it in the future. And I wonder if we could just think back to your first time with Les Mis on stage and the journey and all of the different milestones that you've had from then through till now, what do you think the girl back then would have thought of an original Andrew Lloyd Webber leading lady (laughs) moment that you've had right now?
1: Uh, she'd, she'd, She'd laugh very hard thinking that you weren't serious. She'd be like, no, she'd laugh a lot. Uh, and then she'd probably burst into tears and cry for about two weeks. It's, I mean, I am a theatre kid. I'm the kid who used to hang herself upside down on the stairs pretending to be on dress on the barricade. I watched Hey Mr Producer, the VHS, over and over and over again until I think I ruined it. Sorry, mum. And I used to like reenact... All of these uh, performances um, by like Ruthie Henshall and Leah Salonga and all of these like icons, Bernadette Peters, like I just love them all so much. So to now be leading an original Android Webber West End musical um, and to be on the cast recording and for that to be something that's sort of, you know, fit, you know, it, it's fixed in musical theater history. It's it's fixed in the timeline it's it's bonkers, properly bonkers.
0: The show is bonkers, your performance sure is, is ex- but your yeah. performance is extraordinary and there's oh, absolutely amazing. no stopping that. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for an extraordinary night at the theatre last night. Oh, there I'm are,
1: so pleased.
0: There are so many things that I wish we could talk about that are secrets of the show, which just literally blew my mind. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, this is insane. I wasn't even like,
1: supposed to be performing last night.
0: Thank God you were. The stars <laughs> were aligned. The stars were aligned. I've been like, you were really great that I did see you, but great. That's <laughs> that
1: so been. funny. What are the chances? But
0: thank you so much. Enjoy Enjoy, enjoy the run and, and long may it continue and long may your reign in the West End continue because you are You're extraordinary thank and you. thank you so much for your time
1: thank you my pleasure
0: you've been listening to 11 the official theatre podcast find out more about 11 at 11podcast.com or via the Broadway Podcast Network